Kenyon Salo here, and it was super awesome connecting with Ryan at the World of Speakers podcast. And during our podcast, we talked about everything from skydiving to landing on stage and really helping you having the best keynote presentations or speaking opportunities out there. And we look forward to seeing you there soon. Welcome to the World of Speakers podcast brought to you by Speaker Hub. In each episode, we interview a professional speaker and reveal their very best tips and tricks. You'll learn to improve your presentation skills, keep your audience engaged, and learn how to grow your business to get more gigs and make more money. Here's your host, Ryan Foland. Welcome everybody to another what will be amazing podcast. Now, we're not just talking regular amazing, we're talking James Bond amazing because today we have James Bond of speaking here as our guest. His name is Kenyon Salo. And he is not only a keynote speaker, but he is what epitomizes entertainment on stage that both is motivational and inspirational. From the little cyber stalking I've done on him, I am super excited to hear about who he is, his tips, and how he's able to find success with his speaking business. Kenyon, welcome to the show. How are you? Thanks so much for having me. I'm pretty fired up to be here. It's an exciting day. Let's do this. Sweet. Now, before we get too deep into your tips and tricks and all the amazing information, I want to go back and really understand who you are as a person and let everybody else to get to know you. But what we do here is give you one story to tell. And this would be the story that if I met somebody and I wanted to introduce them to you, there was no such thing as the internet. They've never heard of you. And all I could say was, oh my gosh, you have to meet this guy, Kenyon. This one time, dot, dot, dot. What would that one time be that kind of wraps up who you are as a person? Absolutely. So there was this one time, very, we'll we'll go back eight years ago. In eight years, I had just gotten on the Denver Broncos skydive team. It's called Team Thunderstorm. And it was my very first jump into the game itself. 70,000 people in the stands for the Denver Broncos. And we flew the 15 minutes. We're over the stadium and we're circling the stadium, one circle, another circle, another circle. We're 5,000 feet above the ground. And so what happens at this point is we start jumping out of the aircraft. So the door opens up, the green light comes on, first jumper out, second, third, fourth. I'm the fifth jumper out of the plane. And as soon as I'm out of the plane, I deploy my parachute. And I'm like, yeah, because every single time my parachute opens up, I'm like, yeah. <laughs> so what happens is now we're flying around in a group of five of us. And the PA announcer down in the stadium looks up and sees five people. And he's thinking, wait a minute, I only have four names on the list, but I need the fifth person's name. That's me. But he didn't know. So he radios down to the field and he says, who's the fifth jumper? The ground crew says, that's Kenyon. Well, Kenyon who? Well, that's Kenyon. That's only what we know him at the drop zone as. Well, I need a last name to announce him. And they're like, well, sorry, buddy. All we got is Kenyon. (laughs) So he's figuring that out. We're flying around above the stadium with 70,000 people. And so we're flying around. And the thing is, there's these cable cam cables. There's these field goal cables. It's like Mission Impossible. We have to dive through them at a high rate of speed to be able to land on the field. And And it's one of those things where we can't mess up. It's not good for television and you can't hold up an NFL game. So Jimmy, he's the first guy. He goes into the stadium, goes super fast. The crowd just lights up. And so that that gets me fired up and I'm circling around getting ready to go. And the second person goes in the stadium, third person, fourth person. And now it's time for me. So I line up and I make my high performance turn. I'm diving down the stands. 
And as I'm diving down the stands, I see this guy. He's got a beer and a hot dog. And he's like, yeah, buddy. And I look at him. I'm like, yeah. You know, yeah. So I'm flying down the stands and I make my right turn. And now I'm going down the field. And I'm at like the 50 and the 40 and the 30 and the 20. And at the 10-yard line, just as I'm putting my feet down for my very first jump into the stadium, I hear the PA announcer go, and our last and final jumper, Ken Yawn. <laughs> and that was my first jump into the stadium and something I always remembered. I've been to a lot of football games, but I've never come through the front gates. I've always come from the air and I'm very, wow. very lucky for that. Wow. That's exciting. That's that's pretty niche to be the guy that's fallen out of the sky to get the game going, huh? That's right. That's right. We do every single home game. So that's 10 games a year, two preseason, eight regulars. Sometimes they make the playoffs. This year, they're having a little bit of trouble, but that's cool because they'll come back. Now, is that how you keynote as well? You fly into the onto the stage? Oh, I, I would love absolutely. <laughs> you know, eventually, I want to do a decelerator cable so I come down from the ceiling <laughs> from some of those larger events from the light rack, like Mission yes. Impossible style, and just stop right before the stage. So, yeah, I mean, that's my vision. One day, that'll happen. So have you always been someone who wants to throw themselves out of a perfectly good airplane? Well, first off, there's no such thing as a perfectly good airplane, but <laughs> the answer to that question is yes, I have always wanted to do that. I mean, for me, six years old, it was uh, how far could I jump my bike? What was the thing that I could challenge myself? Climbing up on the roof, running around the house, anything to challenge myself. I even, as a little kid, tied cardboard and styrofoam. Like I got the fridge box that it came in and yeah. I tied these things to my arms and I tried to run down the street and tried to fly as a kid. And so my whole life from that to skateboarding, to pro snowboarding, to eventually becoming a skydiver, professional skydiver in that sense. Yes. My whole life has been that direction and continues to be. Now, do your parents jump out of planes as well? Is this some sort of gene that you caught? So my mom, she's totally amazing. She has uh, one of those things where she took up skydiving and I'll say one skydive 10 years ago and she jumped out of plane. I got to jump with her. It was amazing. But also my mom got me into scuba diving. So she had been scuba diving for four years at the age of 66 and then said, Hey, I want you to learn how to go scuba diving. So we learned uh, some more stuff together, but she had already had many, many dives under her belt. And then just this past year, we went to the Maldives on a live aboard boat and for 10 days, I got to dive with my mom and she's 70 now. And it's it's such a special gift to be able to share that with her. That's awesome. I've spent a lot of time underwater as well. I've been certified since like 12 or 13. 13 was when you were able to. And I think that we knew some inside scoop and I was so just biting on the chomp that like we started the training when I was 12. So like as soon as I hit that 13, it was like, bam. But I, it's just a whole nother world, right? I mean, I could even probably break into the Little Mermaid song about a whole new world, but it's amazing what is above us and below us. And most of us are just sort of stuck on land, right? It's so true. And the, even after I'd done my pool time, and then when I finally got my open water in the ocean, and there was this space. And what I mean by space is just like, there were no walls, the distance that I could see. And, and at that moment, thinking to myself, how come nobody told me about this? Meanwhile, they had, <laughs> but you know, I hadn't said yes yet. And I finally said yes. I let the how figure itself out later, like I do in everything in life. And boom, there I was underwater. And now I've got 100 dives. And it's it's a truly special part of who I am. So say yes and figure out the why and how later. Is that what it is? Yeah, even the how. Yeah, I say it all the time from the stage. The most important thing we can do in life is just say yes. 
And when we say yes, the thing is that what keeps us from doing what we really want to do is we're trying to figure out the how in the moment. So then we tend to say no, like, no, I have to figure out the how. So I say, say yes, let the how figure itself out later. And it always does. Hmm. It makes me think of some, uh, you know, you say how, and it's like now, and there's an interesting probably play on words where if you say yes and don't figure out how now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's right there. It's, it's subconscious. Yeah. I'm a big fan and student of confirmation bias. The last couple of years have been really on a kick to find how and where that infects us in a positive and negative way. And just the, your brain's ability and your body's willingness to follow whatever the brain thinks is right or wrong. All you do is look for and find and decode what is essentially validating your initial hypothesis, which could be totally off based on what you are thinking. It's a weird, powerful loop that can probably put people in the wrong spots and keep them there. It can. And at the same time, it can teach you lessons. Yes. And I always say there's no wrong decisions, there's lessons. And we've heard this before. I'm not the first person to say this. But in general, what I always believe is no matter what happens in my life, an amazing story is coming from it. Some story I can use in some way, whether it teaches myself, my kids, people from the stage, whatever it is, there are stories that are being created left and right. Yeah. And for me, the story you told about falling out of the sky strategically on stage, I'm literally was with you as you're looking at the guy with the beer and the hot dog, like in that eye contact out of 70,000 people. And like, for me, that just like, bam, I was there. I lived it. I experienced it. I don't know if I'm going to do it, but I'll probably be the guy with the beer and the hot dog watching you do the flying. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Now I visualize you with the beer and hot dog. <laughs> Excellent. So how did you stumble into or uh, jump into or launch into this idea of sharing your stories with the world from the stage? For me, it actually started back in ninth grade and may have started earlier than that in general. So the speaking standpoint was ninth grade where I learned from my ninth grade English teacher and a whole semester she taught the fine art of speaking in front of groups or public. And it was so wonderful what she taught about ums and ahs and body language, coming up with concepts and how to teach this stuff. And I realized like some people can sing. They have that natural ability. You see the four-year-old on America's Got Talent, like, wow, what a voice. Yeah. Or someone can draw and they have that talent. I don't have that talent. I don't have any of those talents. But when it comes to speaking and speaking through stories and speaking through stories and training and facilitating, it's a gift that I've had my whole life. So when I said that I used to ride my bike and see how far I could jump it when I was six years old, then what I would do is want to teach my friends how to do it. Mm. Hey, this is what you do. This is how you hold the handlebars. This is how you lift off the ramp. This is how you're going to land so you don't fly off your bike. And I would teach that. And that transpired and continued to happen throughout my life. And it was this back and forth thing where it was I would learn something and want to teach it, learn something and want to teach it. And so the communication was super valuable in this scenario and even in ninth grade, when I presented this, and this is ninth grade, like way back in the late 80s, when there was very little access to video and editing and things like that. But I had actually edited a video about skateboarding to show to the class about <laughs> skateboarding. And then that was my presentation. And I had no idea that, you know, 30 years later, 40 years later, all of a sudden I was going to be on stage showing the adventures that I'm doing, using them as metaphors for life through wonderful and amazing and special editing 
to really capture the audience and then tell those stories and give them learning lessons through that. So for me, it's been my whole life and that's how I am where I am now. Now, how long did it take you to recognize that? In ninth grade, did you recognize it? Or is this in hindsight at a certain point, you're like, wow, this has really been a gift of mine for a while. Because sometimes we don't see our own gifts when it's just our natural ability to do things. Was there that shiny moment then or did it come later on? Absolutely later on. I was for sure, <laughs> when you say shiny moment, I was distracted by shiny objects my whole life. Like, Ooh, <laughs> I'm going to try that. I'm going to try that. I'm going to try that. But interestingly enough, all those things that came together became the amalgamation of what I deliver and that message from stage. And so the things that I continue to do in life and learning and then learning about personal development and continuing my adventures and then finding a mentor who taught me about being authentic from the stage and truly being able to speak in my true authenticity. And those things came along. And then I remember that every time that I liked being in front of groups, but I never said, wait a minute, I want to do that on a regular basis. I just enjoyed it for what it was. So it was groups or trainings within smaller jobs I had as I was growing up. I always loved training people. And then about three years ago in 2015 was when at that point, somebody reached out to me, a bureau reached out to me and said, Hey, you know what? Your name has come up three times in the past week. Do you do speaking engagements? And I was like, well, yes, I do. And that's when she offered me a job, a very small job to do an event. And I went on stage and I got paid a very small sum of money. And I was like, wow, that's really cool. I like this. Maybe I should look into it some more. But the key difference between what I knew when I was younger and what I knew now, and for that very first engagement, was I finally had a platform. So when she called me, I was ready. I had a platform, which was my message. And prior to that, I never had the platform. I was like, you know, someone like, hey, do you want to teach or you want to train from stage? Yeah, I'll do leadership. What were you talking about? I don't know, leadership. And I think that's the fault of a lot of up and coming speakers is they don't have the message, the delivery per se. And that's the thing that once they learn that, that's when they're able to make that jump into being a more successful speaker and then moving through the ranks. Interesting. I want to I want to take a time out on this word platform because I hear it used a lot and you seem to be using it in a particular way in that the platform is your message. Is that what I'm hearing? That the platform is not physically as in the stage or physically as in video as a medium or physically as in a podcast as a medium or a platform, but you felt like you had something to stand on once you define that message. Is that what you're saying? That is exactly correct. It is the thing because without the platform, people can't see you. It's just a sea of noise or, or you're getting lost in all that. But once you have the platform, your message and the way you'll deliver it, because I believe there's nothing new under the sun. There's no new teachings. There's no new aha moments. It's just how we deliver. And that's what the clients are looking for is a new way to deliver customer service, sales, leadership, team building, whatever it is. And so I had to figure out my platform that I would stand on that would let me stand out from the crowd and then allow them to see me, wait a minute, that speaker, let's look into him more. And then that's where they go down the rabbit hole. They see the videos, they see the stuff and they go, okay, yes, let's put him on stage and he can deliver his platform slash message. Interesting. And for people who have not seen you out there, a nice visual that still stands out in my mind as I have my proverbial beer and proverbial hot dog as I'm watching a YouTube video. It's you standing on top of what's got to be like a 20-foot ladder. Is that correct? Well, I love that it looks like a 20-foot ladder. <laughs> and in essence, it's only 12 feet. But if you take the stage, a four-foot stage, a 12-foot ladder, and me being six feet, 
now, yeah, my head is above 20 feet, 20, 22 feet. And it depends on the ceiling in the venue. I have different level ladders, <laughs> which is crazy. Like I got the four foot, the six foot, the eight foot. But some of my events where they're huge ballrooms and auditoriums, I'll use the 12 foot. And that's something that helped me stand out, no pun intended, but it was completely by accident, meaning that one day I was at an event and I had my platform and then I was walking around the hallway before people were going into the rooms and I saw this stepladder that was just laying in the hallway and I was like, wait a minute, could I use that? Yeah. And I, I hit it behind stage and then in the middle of my presentation, I had not even practiced this. I pulled it out and then I started to use it as a metaphor of where we want to go in life and how standing next to it is our environment. And I started going up the ladder and coming down and up and down, gave the audience a great visual. And then eventually, you know, that before you get up there and it's like, do not stand on or above this step, you could die. <laughs> right, kind of right. thing. And then I stood on that step with my nice dress shoes and suit and everything. And I'm now standing on this step ladder above the audience. And a woman yells out, like, please get down from there. You're all making us feel very uncomfortable. <laughs> and almost fell, you know, it caught me off guard. And then immediately in my brain, I was like, wait a minute, I should, I should take this out. I should get down from here. I should have never put this in. I had all this self-doubt. And then I realized, and I unpacked it immediately. And I said, wait a minute, this is exactly what I'm talking about. Me being on the ladder is doing what I want in life and where I want to go and, and really challenging myself and being the best me I can be. And her and the audience yelling that out and feeling that way was my environment. And that's what keeps us doing from doing what we want to do. And I was able to unpack that for the audience. And it was a learning lesson, not just for them, but also for me, that that's what we have to do in life. We have to go outside our comfort zones. We have to challenge ourselves to do new things and go to places that most will not go and do what most will not do to have what most will never have. And so that's the difference. They loved it. They got it. And now that stays every speaking engagement. I use a ladder and it's a phenomenal visual reference that when they go back home, they remember that part from the visual standpoint. Yeah. What a great sort of transition into this concept of giving people tips for their speaking career. And I want to take a step back because you said that there is no new information out there, yet people are still looking for new ways to sell, to lead, to whatever it is. So do you feel that the same is true for speaking advice? Is there no new speaking advice out there? Is everything under the sun that is possible already out there? It's out there, but there's some stuff that's new to people. Okay. So they haven't heard it. And I guess that's the delivery, right? right? So there's a new delivery. Maybe even it was delivered before, but when they weren't ready to listen to it and hear it, then they didn't get it. But when they're ready, then the message appears, right? And so first and foremost, you must be authentic. You have to authentically be you. And when I connect with speakers and I help speakers along and train speakers, I'm not the expert in their world. They are. And I'm not the expert in their authenticity. They are. But then we deliver the new stuff that says, okay, this is how the industry is changing. These are the things that are really helping speakers that are having great success. And these are the things that are keeping the speakers from not having success. And then we go through those things. Hmm. This is interesting. So in my mind, I'm levitating towards technology to where just for a, a thought experiment, if right now you had the exact same tools and resources available as you did in say the eighties or in another 20 or 30 years, like technically there is really all the information under the sun. It's there. 
but which of this information at which time is the sun shining on that you can see that you're actually ready for. So I'd love to get some of these unseen tips that are there or classic tips that are maybe just delivered from a ladder or a different perspective that you think would be of high value for people who are excited about taking their story and their message to the stage, but the challenge is real and that they probably look and smell like every other speaker out there that's trying to do it. So how do you stand out? How do you step up onto a ladder when you don't see the ladder or when you have environmental changes around you that basically is sort of confusing the message and everybody seems to be saying the same thing? Be authentic, tell stories. Okay, but like, where's the new light on that? Where's the new spin? How do you tell stories in a new way? I guess that's the kind of stuff I would like for you to jump out of the plane with and share with us. Absolutely. First and foremost, I want everybody to think about what their phone is capable of doing now. So, and maybe you've seen it before, but if you, in the long ago, you, you had a clock, you had a camera, a video camera, a calculator, and uh, spreadsheets on paper, et cetera, et cetera. All the things that your phone can do now, and it does in something that you can hold in your hand. And that same thing has changed with technology from speaking. So back in the day, to have a professional, like million dollar stage sound set up and and somebody that have sound, they have video, they have the lights person, this and that, you can control that now from the stage and or in your keynote or your PowerPoint in such a way. And that's what I started thinking. It was like, how is content going to be delivered to the audience? So first I thought, what is different about how people are consuming content now? It's super hard to get somebody to watch a 15-minute video. Just like, here's a video, it's 15 minutes, check it out. Right. But they'll be happy to watch 10 three-minute videos. And that, all of a sudden, that's 30 minutes. But that's just how we are. We're starting to consume content differently. So it's got to change. And every three minutes, something new is going to happen. So that was the first thing. Second thing I realized is that PowerPoints, and slides were, were just destroying the audience. I spent many, many years just being in audiences and studying the audiences and studying speakers on stage and how what they were saying or doing helped or hurt the audience's energy. And so sometimes in the back of the room, sometimes in the middle of the audience, and sometimes in the front of the room, I just wanted to feel and understand how the energy was always changing. And so what I realized is how we deliver content is key. And now that you can do that from stage and you can put that within your technology of your keynote, that, like, here's an example. Like, hey, what's your walk-on song? Oh, it's already embedded in my keynote. Well, what about that video? I'll hit play. I got it. It's already <laughs> in the keynote. And what about the lights? Well, I've already sussed the lights, and I know that someone in the back of the room, they're going to handle Like, I make sure all these little nuances are there so that they have this experience throughout the keynote, and there's video, and there's audio in my keynote, and there's wonderful visuals. There is not one bullet point in my keynote, not one. And there's about 12 words, I think, total in all my slides added up 12 words. So from that standpoint, it's about delivering from that angle. And really, it's about content. How do you deliver your content in a professional way? It can be a $10,000 keynote in front of an audience that's paying you $500. And that can be all done through technology. Hmm. That's interesting. You know, I saw a gentleman who called himself a mentalist. Have you ever heard of that? Absolutely. It's a form of uh, magic. Yeah. And it was mind blowing. A lot of it's based on mathematics and, you know, just slight nuances that this person sees that nobody else does. And he was definitely a one man show, right? But he had this little thing on his belt 
And I noticed that he was using it, but he was pretty slight of the hand, so he didn't really notice. But it was actually a remote control that he had hooked up to his iPad, who, which he had patched into the audio system. And so he was able to pick and choose songs that would start and they'd even be on timers so that he would start the music and then he would talk. And then as soon as he's done talking, the music shuts off. So it's like, this makes me think of, of controlling your environment through the technology that is available to everyone, but is everyone using it to the best ability and in a nuanced way as possible. So it's interesting. Oh, I love that. Any, any way I can get a smaller remote, the better. I, and I try and get the remote out of my hand as much as possible. So because I, I want my hands free, I, I, I want to feel like it's seamless. And some of the best magic tricks are the most simple magic tricks. And so when people think about how, how do you be great? How do you be amazing? Think simplicity. It's the simple side of things that make it so magical per se. And why do you think it's so difficult or intimidating to boil things down to the most simplistic form? Is there something psychologically that convinces us it couldn't be that simple or that is it a, do you see that people just don't continue to put the work into these fine nuanced things that could make such a difference, but they just overlook it for importance? Any insights as to why that whole process is either undervalued or is just intimidating? The answer is both of those. First, people generally overcomplicate. So when they go into it, it's, oh, it's going to be this, and it's going to be that. And they, oh, I have to have all this data in there. I have to have all this information. I have to say all these things. And they can't possibly fit it all in. And what I've realized is, again, simplifying everything. The audience doesn't need all that. And I was once taught that it's not what you say, it's how you make the audience feel. So generally, what I'm thinking about is what is the end result? What is it when I am done and I leave, how do they feel about what they saw, what they heard? and what they felt in those moments. That's what's most important to me in that process. Additionally, the only way to get to that success where you make the audience feel amazing once you leave, because it's not about you, it's about the audience. And so when you're able to leave that audience in a great place once you step off stage, the thing is, is that it's about the constant, never-ending improvement. And every single engagement that I have, I sit down with my director of photography who films every event that I have. So I bring someone to every event to shoot. And we also, he knows my keynote from front to back. He could probably do it. <laughs> and the way it breaks down is we sit there and we debrief it. What about this joke? That seemed to be new. That was off the cuff. That was a new joke. Do we want to keep that joke? Oh, we like that joke oh, we don't like how this happened here. We want to change that. And then at the end of the year, which is right now, we go back to the entire keynote and we start saying, what nuances can we change? And we're down to the super, super fine points, but we're just in that micro, but sometimes that micro makes a macro difference in the next year. So we're making our micro changes right now for 2019. Interesting. I want to talk a little bit about audience technology, and I'm just making this up, but I've seen, at least in your speaker reel and a couple other places, you are engaging the audience in a way that they are standing up, they are dancing, they are screaming. And I think that getting an audience to that point, it really takes a certain amount of skill, technology, you probably even need a parachute and some sort of fireworks to make it happen. But what are some of the things that you find that you do to get the audience in a spot 
where that can happen. Because I personally know you can't just be like, all right, jump up and scream. Like you're building a relationship with them. They're becoming part of the story. But how do you engage the audience to a level where they're literally up in arms, arms engaged, swaying back and forth? Like it almost looks dangerous. And that's what's exciting. Yeah. Well, it is. That's at the the very end of my keynote. So to get to that point, I could not put that in the beginning. Right, right. It would never happen. <laughs> and so we have to work towards it. And I say we because it's a team and it's we, me and the audience working together to get there. Obviously, trust is very, very important. They have to trust. There has to be the rapport. There has to be the connection. And that starts from even the introduction where the person says, okay, hey, I've got your whole bio here. And we send it to them. We say, okay, you can maybe read one or two things from the bio, but really what I want them to say is, why did they hire me? And that's a key point before I even step on stage, when I say to the person that's doing the introduction, why did you hire me? Where I have somebody that is basically on their side, on their team, saying this person we believe, and I personally believe, will be a value to you. So already right away, it's not me stepping on stage saying I'm a value. Mm. It's somebody on their team that's saying I'm a, that I will be as a speaker of value to them. So that's how that like super subconscious level goes in there. I come on stage, I get them standing up. I say, just everybody give someone a high five, that kind of thing. And you can see there's a little bit of trepidation. There's like, right. oh, you know, and they're like, maybe some people give a high five. They're like, I don't know. I don't <laughs> want to high five this guy next to me. But I, it's cool because I don't need everybody to participate. Another thing that I do, and I do this right from the beginning, is I say, look, I need some agreements from you guys. And so they're like, okay. And I say, first off, I need everybody to play at 100%. Is everybody willing to play at 100%? And you get yes. And I'm like, no. Is everybody willing to play at 100%? They're like, yeah. So <laughs> they shout that out. Right. And then I make a joke. Okay, some of you think I'm going to take you skydiving. Now they all laugh. Boom. Now I'm, I'm opening them up. And then the next agreement I ask is I say, look, everybody has a cell phone, iPads, computers, and whatever I see in the audience that's open. I say, you said you'd play at 100%. They've already agreed, right? And I say, you're willing to put these away for while I'm on stage. And you see them put them away, and they don't come back out. The phones don't come out. The computers don't open up. And look, that's the job of the speaker to keep that too. It's not just because you made an agreement. You, actually, you have to be great on stage. Right. But with those two in tandem, I'm able to create that space. Then the rest of the keynote happens, and I bring them through the journey. And by the end of it, They'll do like, okay, everybody stand up. Now put your arm around the person to the right of you. Put your arm around the person to the left of you. Now we're going to do this activity. And they're, they're just moving along. They're like, okay, whatever. Right. So that's how I get there. I love it. And it is a process. And I like the fact that we're talking about simplicity and that being so important yet so difficult. And you are literally calling out an opportunity before you're even on stage in something that is so low hanging fruit. Most people get the opportunity to have an introduction. But even within that introduction, you're literally changing it just enough to nuance it so that there's a little psychology going into it, which, you know, if, if you talk about somebody and you're like, how many different ways can you tweak and improve what you're doing right now? It is endless. And I think seeing that opportunity and having little examples like that really is a chance to know that your pencil is never always sharp enough. <laughs> Absolutely correct. Absolutely. So I want to, you we're talking about big stages and we're talking about these large audiences. And I want to ask some of your advice or some of your stories or journey to get to that point, right? It's a long journey from ninth grade skateboard video 
to standing in front of 3,000 people that at the end of your talk, they are literally at your mercy of doing whatever activity and they love it. So how did you get to that large stage and what are the stages of getting there and what are some of the the nuanced advice, the things that everybody says you need to do, but what are the tweaks on it? How do you simplify that process to a way that actually works? A lot of the great speakers out there will say the way to get where they are is that you have to practice. And we know this in the 10,000 hours and everything else, but that is exactly what happened to me where it was practicing whatever job I was in front of. It was practicing at home. I wanted to learn comedy because I knew that was important. So I signed up for amateur comedy night at Denver Comedy Works. And I went many, many times, like half a dozen times. And that was super scary for me, but it made me study comedy and it made me learn the art of those two minutes. And then now that's a huge part of my hour long or 75 minute presentation is proper comedy, both impulsive or straight from the hip and then properly designed jokes that I use within my presentation. So it is practice. And I I was very fortunate that uh, many, many careers ago, I got into network marketing. And in that process, I saw that I was able to train. And so as I was brought in as a trainer, I got to do hour long calls and sometimes two a week. And I did this for four years. So I've done over 350 training calls. So 350 hours of just practice, practice, practice. So when a lot of the great speakers say you need to practice at least 100 times, well, in a sense, that's what I I was able to do through teleconference calls and webinars and things like that. So that transferred and really helped me through that process. But then when it came time to speak, speaking came from the process of getting my very first stage. And those stages are the ones where there's a little projector and a little screen and you're doing your very best and the audience is there. There might be 50 people and you do a $10,000 presentation in front of 50 people. (laughs) Now, the thing is, your first presentation won't be worth $10,000. But what I'm saying is you have to feel like it's above and you've pushed yourself and it's beyond and you make it as great as possible. And then you repeat and you fix and you repeat and you adjust and you repeat and it goes. And still to this day, I still do small audiences. I was just in an event where it was, you know, the ceiling was only nine feet. So I had a super small (laughs) ladder and there was only 50 people in the room and it was a little projector, but I wanted to give back and it was such a way to give back. And I was like, this is like my roots. This is so amazing. And it was wonderful. I had a great time and you can have great times in front of any audience. Yeah. My mom always would tell me, Right. It only takes one. Right. Whether you have a lot of people or not, like it just takes even if there's a lot of people, if you just connect with that one person. And I think we've all had opportunities to speak and maybe our expectations are not clearly uh, met when you show up and it's different than you might think. And then you have a choice of sort of being like, oh, crap or sweet. (laughs) Is there one person? Yes. Let's rock this. But I think the positioning almost every time you're on stage as a chance to sharpen your craft is something that fits into that learner mentality that I think is very inherent within the speaking industry. You don't just all of a sudden get there and then can be kosher. Like there's people nipping at your heels constantly. Absolutely. And we never know who's in the audience. And I always say that every audience that we have in front of us is our opportunity to pitch our greatness. And so you have one hour to pitch your greatness to somebody in the audience that could put you on another stage. 
that could put you on an equal stage or a larger stage. And an example was I took an event for less dollars and I went there and again, I gave my best presentation I possibly could for that audience because those are the ones that matter in that moment. And what I didn't know was there was a president, there was a longstanding director there and he said, great, this was awesome. And I actually want to bring you to our national event. And from there, it went from 75 people in that audience and put me in front of 3,500 high school kids on a huge stage for their largest event in Colorado. And that's a huge difference. And it was all because I pitched well by making sure I focused on the audience first of that 75 members. And that one person in the audience was the game changer for the next big stage. Hmm. Interesting. So when it comes to going back to this platform and platform and your definition being that it's the message that you are sharing or sending. And when you're talking about your keynote, you're talking about the one keynote. How important has it been for your success on these stages to lock in that singular message? Because when I'm talking with upcoming speakers, that's one of their hardest challenge is what am I going to speak on? And there's this inherent fear that if you only have one thing that you speak on, you might be limiting yourself from a supply and demand, but it's obviously working for you. So I'm curious your thoughts on the importance of that singular platform as opposed to speaking on a variety of topics or how that sort of meshes in a combination with you. So I've been very lucky where I've been able to design such a keynote that works for many different verticals that people are looking for. And so when I'm talking to a potential client, they say, hey, can you talk about leadership? Can you talk about team building? Can you talk about customer service? The answer is yes. And the thing is, I don't have to have three different keynotes in that regard. So the keynote that I talk about, I say to the client, I'm very clear. I said, look, 80% of it is set in stone. It's the framework I've designed. It works. And so I want to bring them through that journey. I say the other 20% is where I'll adjust particular to who you are as a client, the company that you are, the school that you are, and that the vertical that you're looking for. Oh, you want me to tie into leadership? I'm going to use a lot of leadership language throughout the keynote. And it's a talent that I have that I can adjust that way. And it's also, I know those backgrounds because I've learned leadership and team building and customer service and sales and all those things throughout my life. Now, there are some verticals that I wouldn't touch then. Like, for example, there are some verticals that, that someone might come to me and say, hey, can you talk about this? Or, or the power of like change management, for example. I was like, well, that's not my skill set. So change management is out. But again, inspiration, motivation is one of the top topics that people are looking for. And then shortly there behind is customer service or sales or team building or leadership. So those are some of the main ones right there. So I figured, why not play in the big ponds, in the big pool where most of the engagements are, and then be able to adjust accordingly there. And what you said, which was how do people find that platform? Again, it's the authenticity. So my concept of create more experiences, share more stories, and live more fulfilled by helping others, those three concepts that I teach in my presentation are authentically me, and it's how I live my life on a daily basis, and anybody can look on any of my social media or any of my branding, and they'll see that that is true, that the same way I show up on stage is the same way I show up in life, and that 360-degree transparency is always there. Hmm. And it sounds like you had quite the, I'm going to say, squirrely past from like, squirrel, squirrel, shiny light, squirrel, squirrel. 
But it sounds like you're using that to your advantage because you are pulling from those experiences to be stories that fit into the one keynote that can hit 80% of your target only to be polished by the 20% that fits in. So for people who are just not sure because maybe they've had experience with customer service and they've also had experience with leadership and they're internally torn, is it that you're taking your authentic self and just putting your spin on it which could be different than his or her spin on it. That's absolutely what it is. I mean, there are amazing speakers out there and that's the hardest thing for the clients is like they can't put speaker A and speaker B on stage side by side and then make a decision. They have to make a decision based on what they see online. They have to make a decision based on what they see in social media or videos or written content or testimonials. And even then they're hiring speakers and going, I hope this works out. I hope this one's a good one. Last year was such a bomb. And they're in the hot seat. And so as a speaker, I know I have to show up, A, to make sure that that person that hired me, that event planner, that meeting planner, that they know that within the first five minutes, they're like, oh, so glad. Okay, yeah, okay, this is going to be fine. This event will be great. That's the first step. And then second is making sure that the audience gets that. And ultimately, I know, like, let's take TED Talks, for example. They're the TED Talks that people memorize, And the TED Talks that people know their content so well because it's authentically them that they could go, hey, you have 18 minutes, go. And they go, okay. And they walk out on stage. And those TED Talks are some of the most watched TED Talks around the world. And so that difference between being like, oh, I have to memorize every single word. and I have to, this has to be exactly this movement at this point in time in this slide. And what, let go of all of that. Be you. Like you're talking to your best bud about the things that you love. When you do that, the audience will relate to you because it it becomes more of a a feeling of a conversation as opposed to like some sort of teaching or talking to. I like it. I like it a lot. Now, when it comes to this idea of a 360 transparency on you as this person and your authenticity, do you think that that is essentially having a strong personal brand, this idea that you are who you are on stage or not? And tell me about kind of the I don't know whether I want to say work, stress, anxiety, or excitement about taking and sharing that transparency all the time through all these social platforms. Some people, I think, see that as a lot of pressure, but it sounds like it's almost a necessary evil at this point. It is. It is one of those things where, again, using the word authenticity, if there's some guy that's at the bar and then he goes across the street and he teaches about leadership and having success in life. And then he goes across the street to the bar till two in the morning. (laughs) They're not congruent. And the thing is that he'll think that on stage, he's like, ah, I'm teaching the message. And I know leadership, the audience can call him on his bull. They know they can feel it. They know it. And when you lose the audience that way, it's so hard to regain. And you might not think you're losing them, but I've seen it and I've seen the audience, they just die and they disconnect. And so part of that is just living into yourself. And when you're on stage, and even that has progressed over the past three years where my director of photography, Kyler, would say to me, he's like, wow, the way you're showing up on stage now, it just seems more like relaxed and flowing. Because I started to realize that if I just started being more myself, a little more like crazy with a little bit of edge and always having fun. And that was kind of the game changer where I said, let's make this presentation super fun. And when we started doing that, when I started coming from that place, then the elevation of the results was even better. And I was thought that I had kind of gotten it up there, but it started to make it even better. 
And so I was still stepping into my authentic self, even three years in, because I always believe always a teacher, always a student. I'm always teaching, but I'm always learning. And so, and I'm learning about myself and I'm learning by watching other great speakers and other people. And that's the process that we have to always be open to. Wow. Well, I think that's a pretty damn good sum up of you as a person, whether it's your ninth grade self or whether it's uh, jumping out of an airplane and missing all the wires to make physical eye contact with your audience at that time as I cheers you with my beers as you land on the field and continue to do that over and over. I like the idea about there really not being new information in the world, right? This idea of under the sun and you can get all the speaking advice you want all over the place at any given point, but it's finding those nuances, the things that connect with who you are as a person so that you're really not just doing what someone else says, but you're saying what it is that you do. I think that really sort of resonates with me. And whether it's looking for constant opportunity, there's a stepping stool on my way to the stage. How could I use that? And this idea of ever presently being a learner and a teacher, that is the magic pill that keeps on giving. Because I think so many people are looking for the magic pill. And the magic pill is knowing that the formula is always changing and you always have to keep trying. That's brilliance in a nutshell right there. I like it. All right. Well, hey, before we just continue down this nutty road and and literally geek out for another five days without eating or drinking, I think it's a good time to stop because there's a lot to unpack here. And what I like about this advice goes back to one of my favorite concepts. And you, you said a version of it earlier, which I also liked. It's that successful blank. So let's just use successful speakers. Successful speakers are not doing things that everybody else cannot do. Successful speakers are doing what everyone else can do, but not everybody does. And that's what's exciting about this industry is you can have experience and package it into stories and share it in a way that's new and fresh and getting people inspired, motivated to step up onto the step that says, do not step here or you will die. (laughs) (laughs) Well, hey, this is great. If somebody wanted to find out more about you, where would you send them online? Absolutely. KenyanSalo.com best place. If somebody's got a question, then just fill out a contact form. Come say hi. Of course, you can hit me on Instagram or Facebook. Same place, Kenyon Salo. There's not many of me out there, so I'm super easy to find out there. And I would, I love connecting. I love helping. So just reach out. We'll go from there. Not to be confused with Ken Yan on LinkedIn. <laughs> <laughs> Exceptional. Love it. All right. Thanks, buddy. This is great. I'm all fired up. And uh, I look forward to your James Bond presentation on the stage because remember ladies and gentlemen it's how you make them feel and we all know what we feel when we watch james bond and that's excitement so kenyan you truly sound like you are the james bond of speaking thanks so much for having me all right buddy take care